All right, everybody, welcome back to another Shots from the Winchester podcast presented by Greencastle. Today I have with me John. Hey, John, how's it going? Good, how are you? Good. We're in the Winchester, so that means we have to do a shot. So yes. what are we going to do a shot of here? We got some sparkling water today, so yeah. let's do it. <laughs> We've got a Waterloo and Polar. And Polar. Yeah, all, all right. right. So cheers, cheers to Greencastle. Greencastle. And by the way, these are non-alcoholic seltzers, so it's true. they're pretty good. So we're interviewing John today because he works at Greencastle, which is awesome. So I'd love to talk first about your experience as a veteran and your military experience. So do you want to tell the audience, um, you know, your military background? Sure. Uh, I joined the Air Force um, right out of high school. Um, honestly, I was more afraid of college than I was basic training. So, um, and it was also the Transformers movie, the very first Transformers movie it came out like a year before I left. So I'm not going to lie. Whoever like was involved in like making that movie or recruiting movie, which it probably was, they did a good job because I never really thought about joining the military until I saw that job, S saw that movie. So I uh, joined the military right out of high school um, and went to, went to Lackland down in San Antonio, Texas. Uh, did my basic training there, and then Shepard Air Force Base was my next assignment for tech school. And then uh, I was sent to Minot, North Dakota after that, which was, let me see if I remember this right. It was 40 minutes from the Canadian border, and then 40 miles from the geographic center of the continent. So really? I was as far away from seafood as you could possibly get <laughs> out there, which really was trouble. Every time I came home for leave, like... Mom, Dad, we, we got to get some seafood. Please, I want some fresh sushi. So <laughs> Nice. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so, yeah, North Dakota, um, out there in Minot, it, boy, it gets really cold out there. Yeah. The coldest temperature I ever saw was negative 60 degrees. Negative 60? Negative 60. And so, so, like, you can't have any skin exposed. I assume you're just, like, bundled up, right? Yeah, it, you... You're bundled up so much. I mean, like the wind cuts through anything you're wearing. Like it, it, it chills you to the bone. Yeah. It's the kind of cold your ancestors feel. Like yeah. it just, it's punishingly cold. Wow. So. So I, I do have a question actually, uh, mm -hmm. because I'm army, so life's a little different. Yeah. Tell me about Air Force basic training. Like, what do you do? I, I really don't think I've ever asked anybody that. Like, what do you do at basic training? How does that look? So it. I don't remember when exactly, but when I went, it was still eight weeks. Now it's six weeks. So it's been going through a little bit of a transition. Um, the Air Force is indeed a little bit more corporate than the other branches. So there is a very heavy, heavy emphasis on academics and, and learning bookish stuff in Air Force basic training. But the, the experience was still very, at least when I went, very, very aggressive. Um, lots of yelling, lots of PT. You get smoked if you make, if you make, when you'd make mistakes, I should say. Um, so there was, there was a lot of academics, but there also was a lot of um, combat type familiarization and training. We learned our combatives, we learned um, self-aid and buddy care. We learned basic medical, um, how to fire a weapon, of course. We all qualified with the M16 platform. And then, yeah, how to disassemble your M16, things like that. So there was a little bit of, uh, combat and deployment type training when I was going through. Now I think with um, with the current environment that we're in, I think there's there's less of that 
happening in basic training, but I don't know for sure. I know when I went, it was still they were still pretty heavy on tr teaching combat and combatives and things like that. Yeah, sure, so. that makes sense. Okay, oh, surprising. I, I honestly I didn't know that, but it kind of makes sense. I like that you said more corporate. <laughs> That's really like a really nice way to say it, right? It, it's very yeah. The Air Force <laughs> is very very nerdy. Very it is it is bookish. It really is. Um, I was lucky enough to interact with the other branches when I was in, and yeah, it, the branches all definitely have their own, what word would you use, like, personality. Yes, personality. Yeah. yeah. Characteristics, yeah. yeah. Yes. Okay, so then what job did you have in the Air Force? Like, what did you go to school for there? When I was in the Air Force, um, I worked in a command and control okay. center, so uh, all the different streams of information would come into my, my office, and then uh, we were charged with disseminating that out. So commanders would call us, they would need information right now. Our job was to give it to them right now. And then um, just keeping track of everything, making sure everything was, was squared away. Um, kind of like what we do here at Greencastle, we facilitate solutions where we transfer information around to the right place. We're not exactly making decisions, we're making uh, very informed recommendations so that uh, our clients, or our commanders, whoever's receiving that information has the most up-to-date information. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. So how did you find Greencastle then? Because just to remind the audience, everybody that works here is a veteran or has to have served. So how did you come across Greencastle? I was very fortunate that uh, Jeff and Troy reached out to me on uh, LinkedIn. And that's, that's really it. They said, hey, I see you're a vet. I uh, got cool looking skills on your LinkedIn here. Um, and yeah, just really that's it. They you're reached in the out Air Force. We know you're smart. <laughs> well, maybe, yeah. <laughs> And so what do you do here? What's your job? So kind of similar to what I did in the Air Force. I'm a business intelligence analyst. Um, clients are going to come to me and the other members of my team with a little bit more technical type problems. And through our knowledge of Power BI platforms, automated systems, uh, power apps, a uh, whole lot of deeper set Microsoft suite programs, we can take a little bit more of their technical problems and find them a little bit more technical solutions while at the same time making those consulting type recommendations like hey i think this series of connected platforms would solve your technical issue or your process issue that you have here and it, it's it's a little bit less like project facilitation a little bit more um improving in a way and really paying attention to a little bit more technical aspects of their problems. Mm -hmm. That was a really graceful way to explain that. Thank oh, you. Well, I yeah. appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> so I actually want to backtrack a little bit before we get too far ahead. Mm -hmm. You have mentioned that um, you won a couple awards during your time in, in the Air Force. So I'd like to hear about those. I know one you mm -hmm. said was the most improved airman. Mm -hmm. So what, what qualifies you to win that award? Like what are the characteristics? Mm -hmm. So I, I have to be a little bit um, I have to admit, I'm pretty proud of that one. That I was awarded by my fellow trainees in basic training. So most improved airmen was um, at the end of basic training, um, all, the, all the gentlemen were polled. Who do you think improved the most from being dropped off to actually graduating? And um, that was something that the, our drill instructors just, they put us in a closet and said, you guys figure it out. They didn't, they didn't want to be in it, involved in it at all. So uh, the group of 30 guys I graduated with, um, I should say, we, we started out with like 65, 70 guys, and the actual graduating class was only 30, 30, 35. Only 30? Yeah, they, they really kicked people out. Wow. So, okay. um, yeah, we, we were all in a room, 
and uh, just talking about it. And um, I remember, I, I wish I could remember his name. I think it was like Rotec or something like that. But uh, one of my buddies recommended me and, and the group was pretty quick. So yeah, you know, I, I think uh, Auer did pretty good with that. So they, they all took the vote. They, they designated me to receive that award. Um, our, I don't remember the term, but like the head trainee let the drill instructors know like, hey, John's going to get this. And then so um, right before we actually officially graduated, the commander had a little ceremony with us where he presented me with that award. Nice. So I'm, I'm very proud of that one. I still have that one displayed at home. So That's most improved cool airmen. So what, what do you feel like you improved in so much? So I, I think I th- it's, it's, a little, it's a little hard to talk about, but I, I think um, it, it made me... I think basic really kind of kicked my butt, to be totally frank. I, I, was, I was kind of a troublemaker growing up. I, I didn't have much discipline, um, didn't, didn't respect authority. You know, you could ask my parents. I'll tell you all this is true. Um, but, yeah, I, I was a troublemaker. I really didn't want to do anything unless I felt like doing it. Um, and I, I kind of honestly knew that, and I knew that wasn't the best way to be. So part of the reason I joined the military was like kind of toughened me up. So I think, I think a lot of that, like, emotional stuff, um, you know, really, really developing resilience and that discipline necessary for being a veteran or being in the military and becoming a vet. Um, I, th- I think my, uh, well, I got the award, so I, I think the guys in my group saw that. Like, hey, this, this John guy, he started out like kinda, kind of a troublemaker, but, you know, he stuck through it. He, he made it. You know, over 50% of the guys were kicked out. So uh, I, I had what it took, apparently. Yeah. Well, congratulations. That's pretty cool. Thank you. And then you have another award that you received as well. So tell us about that. The uh, second award I'm most proud of is the Air Force Humanitarian Medal. Um, where I was stationed in North Dakota is along the Suris River Basin. Um, it's, it's a river that connects from, I don't remember where, but somewhere in Canada. and kind of streams down the center of North Dakota. Um, and in 2011... Don't remember all the technical details, but somehow with uh, some of the dams overflowing and improper uh, maintenance of dams and, and snow melting up there, something some somebody did something wrong. Um, the base, the river basin, completely flooded, and the town Minot, where the base was, was just devastated, absolutely devastated. Wow! Um, it was it was a historic flood. A lot of the uh, Small villages in North Dakota, I mean, are, are literally like 100 people. There isn't even a gas station in some of these places. But they're all built up along the river. So, like, these small towns, I mean, just, just gone. Just completely gone. Um, so the whole, the whole base, all Minot Air Force Base, and then uh, some of the reserve bases out there, the National Guard, the Air Reserve, um, the whole military presence in North Dakota just mobilized immediately to getting all the civilians, all of our neighbors, um, out of their homes, trying to save as much of their property as we could, um, try to try to save uh, like cars or precious heirlooms or things like that, pets. Um, and we we knew that this flood was gonna was gonna happen, so we had like a week or so to really help pull as much of the community to safety as we could. And then after, of course, we were uh, helping people re- rebuild their homes, re- actually build the homes, um, helping people settle in different, like, temporary refugee camps. Um, the base, I know, like, the men and women that worked on the services team, like, they were cooking nonstop for the civilians. So the entire base, because of that response, was issued the Humanitarian Service Medal. And it was 
like the, enti the entire base, the entire military apparatus in North Dakota got that medal. Now that, that's something I'm really proud of. Yeah. We, we just, as much as we could, stopped working to go help out our neighbors. And that, that was, it, it was a very tough situation, but um, helping out like we could. I mean, you see those commercials of like the National Guard, like helping people in, in New Orleans for Katrina. Like, man, you know, like, I don't want anything like that to ever happen, but if it does, I'm going to be there to help. Mm -hmm. And that, that, was, that was so satisfying. And, and uh, we, we did make a difference and uh, just helping out people as much as we could. So. Yeah, that, that's cool. I wonder if that, I mean, I've never heard of a whole base getting an award before, so that's really cool. I wonder if that's happened before. You know, I'm, I'm not sure, but mm -hmm. congratulations on that, too. That's pretty neat. Thank you. Um, I'd like to talk about your family. So I know you, you have a, a couple of things you want to talk about there, too. So mm -hmm. let's talk about your mom. You said your mom is a refugee. Mm -hmm. So do you want to talk about her? Sure. Um, my mother was born in El Salvador, and she lived there for the first 18 years of her life. Um, and she came here. I don't remember the exact year. Sorry, Mom. But um, <laughs> she, she and her family came here to the United States legally through a refugee program. Um, in El Salvador, um, the, the government and then the communist, um, communist elements, foreign communist elements wanted to take over El Salvador. And there, it, there really were no good guys in that situation. Um, but there were atrocities from both of those two parties constantly, just constant bloodshed across the entire country. My mom was, um, yeah, her, her whole family, like, she would tell me growing up, like, they would hear bombs going off in the distance. There would be days when, uh, like, they, they couldn't get any food. All the water was, they would contaminate the water, even. So people couldn't even drink, just, just running terror campaigns. Wow. Um, so they, they did what they had to do to survive. Um, unfortunately, El Salvador, it's, it's a very different country. The things are um, less stable down there. Now it's doing much better. But uh, at the time, it was, it was a very, um, very rough place to be. So it took them four years, unfortunately, to bribe El Salvadoran officials to process their paperwork to let them come here legally. But uh, they, my mom always said, like, if, if they wanted to come to the United States, they wanted to be a credit to this nation. They, back then, you could look up to the United States and, and see it really as a beacon of hope. So they, they wanted to come here, and they wanted to... It was very important for them to do everything right. Even if they had to bribe the uh, El Salvadoran officials to sign off things when they came to the U.S., they always wanted to do things right. So um, they did finally come here. Um, all of them became citizens. All of them now are, are voting, and you know they're, they're true Americans and everything. Like, like they, they just, you know, the real patriotic Americans. It's it's really fun to talk to. Them. Like they they love this country so much for what it did for them. So, uh, yeah, my, my mom and her extended family, they were uh, refugees from El Salvador. And, um, you know, just, just growing up, mom would always tell me, like, you know, be, be a credit to this nation. You know, really, um, what we have here is very different than what we have in certain places of the world. So, like, that's a really important thing to, to protect, to fight for. Maybe, that, maybe that's part of the reason, too, why I joined the Air Force now that I'm talking about it, um, being the, the firstborn from that. But yeah, my, my mom met uh, my dad um, in New Jersey and 
you know, an American boy and everything like that. So, <laughs> and so from somebody from New Jersey, nonetheless. So it, that's like yeah. a very specific culture. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my my mom didn't even speak English when she first met my dad. So they would they would talk through uh, handheld translation dictionaries. And are you it, kidding? Dead serious. And it worked. It was love at first sight, even oh even gosh. despite the uh, the language barrier. I love that. That's yeah. so cool. Yeah. So she had to be really proud of you when you joined. Like, what was her? You know, did she give you any advice or was she like, like, how did she feel when you were like, hey, mom, I'm going to join the Air Force? Oh, she was so mad. She was mad? She was mad. She did not <laughs> want me to join the military. Uh, well, she, so she's patriot, but I guess because she, you're her son, she wants I, to protect you, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Oh, but then I'm sure she, once you were in it, she was like, oh, okay. Yeah. I it, see. <laughs> um, you know, I, that, like, like I said earlier, I was kind of a troublemaker. Um, when I, when I turned 18 and I decided I was going to join the Air Force, like, that was it. I was I was gonna join. Like, hey, mom and dad, I'm not asking you for, for your permission, but like, I'm gonna do this. <laughs> and uh, my dad was okay with. My dad was okay with it, but mom mom was like, no, you're not, Johnny. How could you do this to me? <laughs> so you know, it, it. We talked. Of course, we talked about it. But um, you know, my mom came to talk to the recruiter and everything like that. And recruiters do what they do and and everything like that. So it was a very long process, and she always um. She she had her trepidations, but but now after I've I've been out for a while. Um, she's she's very thankful for that, and uh, she, yeah, she was really proud when I graduated basic, and she came down to see me. You know, she she was beaming, and you know, like like you said, she really had that uh, that surge of patriotism in yeah. her. Yeah, and she so. probably saw that change in you too, which you know obviously was very apparent to everybody that you were in basic training with. But then I'm sure to your mom too, like that moment must have been like, whoa, who is this? <laughs> right? I hope so. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so. so you're married. Yes. Right. Yes. So tell us about your wife, and, and I, I heard that you planned the whole wedding, you and her together, just everything. That's true. Um, my lovely wife, Hannah, um, her and I met on the internet like any millennial does. <laughs> um, I don't think there's any way to meet anybody anymore. <laughs> yeah. So, But um, yeah, we, we both are, are planners. Um, very, we're both the oldest, so we're, we're really type A, very aggressive go-getters. Um, it can be kind of problem because we don't know how to take breaks we're always like you know planning everything months and months and months in advance so it can be a little too much sometimes but you know we're, we're working on that but yeah we um we planned our own wedding every every single detail we planned um she she had a lot of contacts with uh like um like with tent people and food trucks caterers she had a lot of contact from one of her previous jobs so like yeah every every single detail we planned and um we abs absolutely loved it. It was it was a lot of work. Every every single little detail was planned out meticulously. But man, that was that was a wonderful, wonderful wedding. So did you you got married before you started working here? I assume. Yes. So then that had to prepare you some of that planning. Exactly. <laughs> For what you're exactly. doing here, right? There is there is a lot of correlation between something like that. It's a huge event, right? You were an exchange student. Mm -hmm. Is that correct? Yes. Okay, so tell us about that. I was able to live in Japan in, in 2007. Had to had to remember. Yeah, 2007. They they had smartphones before we like everybody's walking around with uh like yeah, like little like iPads that they had and everything. They were pretty big back then and we still had flip phones over here. It was so cool to to learn about a, like a completely different culture mm -hmm. to our own. They the Japanese are, are lovely, lovely people and at the same time, like they're they're so different. 
So being a young kid, I think I was like 16, being, you know, being a young 16 year old kid and like really seeing that and realizing like how no matter those differences, like humans are still humans. We still have the ability to love and we still have like hopes and dreams. And boy, when I, when I left my host family, like we were all so sad. We were so sad. I was only with them for a few weeks, but uh, yeah, just, just a lot of things to learn and a lot of very valuable lessons to like actually experience as a young boy. So what's one takeaway from that culture that you've been able, maybe you've implemented that mm -hmm. in your life or what's the, the one thing that you feel like you learned there that was most important? The Japanese, in, in my experience, have a, a very dutiful outlook on, 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 on life, I think. I think it's pretty fair to say it's very general. They, they have a very dutiful sense. And, and they, they maintain a very um, strict sense of personal and familial honor based off them achieving their duty. And not only achieving their duty, but like doing it to, to absolute perfection doing it to the, not to their best, but to perfection. Mm -hmm. um, in America, we, as I understand it, we, like we do our best, but in the Japanese way of understanding, you do the best. You're, you're an instrument for the best. And that, that outlook was pretty valuable for me at the time um, to, to understand like maybe, you know, maybe the best isn't something you assign, but it's something collectively collectively like discovered or uncovered and you're you're sort of like an instrument in achieving that mm. as opposed to being a little, little bit more individualistic wow that's really interesting very insightful too oh thank you yeah. thank you uh so last thing this is this is the real fun fact here okay. you have a pet snake i have a pet snake what kind it is a yellow rat snake how big? <laughs> like, are they like huge or are they like? So he's he's pretty skinny, uh -huh. but he's very long. He's from like the the middle of my torso down to my feet. Wow. Yes. Okay. And so, what do you feed it? <laughs> feed it rats. Okay, that's what I thought. Yeah. <laughs> that I, I always thought that was really cool. I feel like I saw that in like a high school science class at one point, mm -hmm. like where they fed it the rat and it like you know you watch it like kind of digest it, you yeah, know, which yeah. is really fascinating. Do you have any fun story about your snake? Quite a few. My my sister and brother-in-law actually gave me my snake for uh -huh. uh, my birthday. So um, there's a social rule, if you will, never give somebody a pet. Well, yeah. my sister and brother-in-law don't listen to that. <laughs> so they, they gave me a pet, a pet snake as a as a gift. So um, another fun story. My my lovely wife Hannah hates snakes very much. <laughs> um, when when we were first dating, I asked her. Um, you know, what do you, what do you think of animals? Oh, I, I love animals. Uh, her family has like, to this day, they still have like chickens and ducks, uh, turkeys. They had pet falcons for a little bit, wow. uh, rat, like they had all kinds of pets. Um, and I said, oh, very cool. Like, do you ever have any reptiles? I'm like, yeah, we had turtles a little bit. Like, okay, uh, what do you, what do you think of snakes? I'm like, I hate snakes. Snakes <laughs> are the most vile, disgusting creatures. I would never date somebody who has a snake. <laughs> and I get it. Snakes, snakes are pretty gross. I'm, I'm totally comfortable admitting that. It's totally fine that most people dislike them. Very much so. I'm totally, I totally get it. But yeah, so I'm like, oh, okay. So uh, yeah, we, we start dating a little bit. And then um, finally, I, I ask her, like, you know, you want to come over to my place for dinner? And um, she comes. And um, as soon as you open the door to my first apartment, um, the snake is like kind of right there. Like right there as you walk in. You'll see it no matter what. So she sees it like, 
you have a pet snake. I'm like, yes, I do. Surprise. It, surprise. <laughs> and uh, the sweet darling, my wife, um, she, she decided that uh, she will date somebody who has a snake. Yeah. So, <laughs> and marry, yeah. in fact. Ex exactly. Indeed. <laughs> nice. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, big departure from talking about snakes, but this is the last thing that we mm -hmm. always end with. Um, a leadership lesson that you've learned either in your time at Greencastle or your mm -hmm. time in the military. Okay. Um, I learned this in the military. Most disagreements I've had are usually not disagreements of uh, worldview or lens or perspective. Sometimes they are, but usually most arguments are actually about word choices. Most arguments I've had, people are disagreeing on word choices. People will mean the same things, but for a variety of factors will use diff different word choices. And it's very essential to actually define your terms when you're having a disagreement or an argument to, to make sure you're saying what you're saying about the same idea. Just use it with different words. Um, then you'll find if you do have one of those disagreements about worldview or lenses or perspective or something like that, you can actually have a conversation. And it'll, it'll sort of, I found that it kind of de-escalates things. Yeah, you know, you're arguing about something, but then once you understand like, hey, I use this word for this, you use this word for this. Like now we can actually talk about those different worldviews. Now we can actually talk about those, those differences. Um, so I learned that in the military. Um, I, I kind of learned that in the, the command and control center. Like you, you use standardized words to talk about standardized things. And I, I just would think about that. Like, you know, why, why are we so particular? And then I kind of just picked up on that as some of my leadership experiences in the Air Force. So it worked out pretty well for me. That's really great advice. I don't think anybody said that yet. So I like that. Okay. I, cool. I do. That's very actionable. So Yes. All cool. right, everybody. So like and subscribe to our channel, please. We really appreciate all the comments, interactions, um, shots from the Winchester, um, add on Greencastle. You know, we have LinkedIn, we have Instagram, all of that. Find us there. John Auer, it's been wonderful having you on the podcast. Thank and, you, Lindsay. And uh, we'll talk to you next time. Okay. All right. Cool.